So we are wrapping up today. We're wrapping up a, a conversation about prayer. Uh, six weeks we've been looking at different aspects of prayer, and not just uh, uh, words about prayer or instructions about prayer, but actual examples. So some of you are prayer warriors, and it's been review for you, but some of us are kind of slow learners, and you have to draw us a picture. And so we've been looking at pictures that the Bible paints, pictures we see in Scripture of prayers. And so we've seen a number of actual prayers prayed by people in the Scriptures. We saw uh, a case where someone in the Bible prayed for a marriage, not their own marriage, although you're allowed to do that, but for somebody else's marriage. And, and we learned we could pray for, for the marriages of people around us, for relationships. We, we, saw, we saw an example in Scripture where, where people prayed for uh, people who are far from God. And we prayed, we, we, we saw that the prayer that we should pray in those circumstances is that God would bless them, bless them so much that they ask themselves, who could be so lucky? That, that, uh, that they would come to know God, not because of a fear or, or terror, but because God had blessed them so, so much. And so we, we've been looking at these different prayers. We saw prayers where the early church prayed for boldness, that, that they wouldn't be afraid of the things that the world might do to them. We saw them pray uh, for, for um, uh, forgiveness, that, that, that they could somehow find it in themselves to let go of the things that have hurt them and to pray that God would forgive the people who had hurt them. And then last week we saw uh, Jesus himself praying for Christian unity, praying for us, that we would be united, not in terms of our govern, government within the church or how we organize and structure the church, not even our doctrine, what the, thing, what the things were that we believed about God, but that we would be united in our love for, yes. for one another. So we've been looking at these different prayers, and today we're going to conclude this by looking at maybe in some ways the most helpful, but in some ways kind of the strangest prayer of all. It's the prayer for glory. And I don't know about you, but glory is kind of one of those church words. I kind of have a, a sort of an idea. I think I know what glory is, but I'm not sure. And I actually looked it up, so, so I'll share with you what I learned. Glory is um, a word in the Bible that means weight. Okay, so I, I'm a very glorious person. Um, so uh, <laughs> I, I laugh because I, the alternative is crying. Um, so... Uh, so my doctor tells me I'm very glorious. Uh, to, to be glorious is to, is to have weight. What it really means is, is the thing that you respect about someone, the thing that makes them worthy of your consideration. So you might see an old man, and we see this in the scripture, someone who's very elderly, people uh, say that his years are his glory. And what that means is pay attention to that guy. He's lived through a lot. He's seen a lot. He's got a lot of wisdom that maybe he could share with you. In the case of a, of a foreign nation, you might say that's a mighty nation and it has, it has a lot of soldiers. So its glory is its military, its military uh, ar- army. And, and so you would say the reason we need to take them seriously, the reason we need to pay attention to them is because their glory is their might. Now, when it comes to God, uh, it can be any one of those things, you know, uh, age or, or wisdom or, or might or, or whatever else. Uh, that we might look at. But what we see in the scriptures is when God particularly manifests his glory, we see two things. We see radiance and splendor. So if you remember the Christmas story, uh, when the shepherds are out watching their flocks by night and uh, the angel appears and the glory of God shone around them, there's this idea that the glory of God is not simply a weighty feeling or maybe an experience, but that God's glory actually, uh, when it's in its kind of full strength, it is it is a shining radiant thing that that makes people's uh, hair stand on end. It's a 
It's, it's quite an experience. So that's what glory is. But there's another way of looking at glory that maybe is more helpful to help us understand what's going on in this lesson at least. Um, and it, it's like this. We, there, see, there, there's another church word we, we know, holy. And again, we sort of know it. We know it's something to do with God. But, but if you ask somebody to, to kind of distinguish between glory and holy, ah, uh, that would be a hard thing. So I will tell you, and you can, you can remember it, um, forever. Or, or maybe till next week. So, so here's the way it works. Holiness is all the things about God that make God different from us. If you've ever said to yourself, well, look, I know I shouldn't have done that, but I'm only human. That is not holy. Okay? When you say God would never do that, God doesn't get tired, God doesn't get angry, God never makes the kind of mistakes, God never tanks their life, God never blows up their relationships, God never does those things because God is different from us. God is fundamentally, God is just basically different from us. That is God's holiness. God is separate from us. God is not like us. And that is God's holiness. And glory is the opposite. Glory is God's presence. If someone who is very different from you shows up in your presence, then you will probably have the experience we see in the scriptures. So so glory is when you feel God's presence and holiness is the things we're aware of about God that make God really different from us or, or separate from us. So uh, nearness, presence is glory. A distance, separateness is holiness. And the way you can remember is in the alphabet, G comes before H. So glory is closer, holy. So all right, if that's worth what you paid for it. So so that's what that's what glory and holy are. Now, those are still kind of abstract. So let me let me nail it down. Here's 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 the best way to look at it. When you're praying, if you pray, should you pray for God? For God's glory, God's presence. Should you pray for God, or should you pray for the things that God can provide? That's really the question. We we believe that there is a God who can do things. I mean, if you believe in a God, you believe God can do things. But the question is, do you want the things that God can do, or do you want God? That's the real question. And that's what we see Moses dealing with in, in our lesson today. Uh, and I don't know about you, but for a lot of the time, for me, the answer is I really don't want God. I want a genie in a bottle. I want a genie that I can rub the side of the lamp when I feel a, an itch that I want God to scratch. I can just rub the lamp and then God will pop out of the bottle. He'll give me what I want. He'll go back in the bottle and he won't bother me anymore. That's really the way too much of the time I find myself thinking about God. I want what God has to offer and not actually God. And my guess is that I'm not alone. Um, let me put it this way. Um, uh, how many of you, uh, how many of you would rather go on a diet? And how many of you would rather have a magic pill that makes your weight go away? Right? Most of us don't want the long fix. We're Americans. We want the quick fix. We are impatient. We want something right now. And sometimes what we want is contradictory. I want, I, I don't want to go on a diet because then I can't have this piece of cake that looks so attractive. So, so I don't want the long fix, and I certainly don't want something that gets in the way of my freedom to do the things that get me into the problems that I need God to get me out of. I don't want a long fix. I don't want a relationship. The, the other problem with a relationship, honestly, is that if we invite God into, into our life, 
uh, let's say, let's say, I want God to fix my marriage. Okay, my marriage is a mess, and I want God to fix it. Well, well, you know, if I invite God to be part of that, as opposed to simply just waving His wand and fixing it, if I say, God, I want you to be part of this, and I want you to have some some uh, influence in my marriage over time, then God may not do what I want. God may not fix her. God may fix me. And that's not what I want. I'm not looking for God to fix me. I want God to fix her, and then we can move on. Um, in, in my job, it's like I don't want God to, to begin working on me. I don't want God to change the way I see my job or the, my coworkers. I want God to fix them, and kind of let's move on from there. Um, I, I, I don't want God to have a relationship with my finances. I want God to fix my finances. I want more money and smaller bills and and that's the end of it. I don't want God to somehow start working on me in the way that I make my decisions about spending. I don't want a relationship. So too often of the time, I think that's what we want. We want a genie who fixes our problems, but we don't want a third party in our relationships. We don't want a second party in our financial decisions or our job. We want a genie, not a God. And so we're going to look at a place where where we can say, um, is there any wisdom in Scripture we can learn from? And what we see is there's a place in the Scriptures where the um, where the uh, the Israelites do exactly the same thing. They are in a relationship with God, but they don't really want a relationship with God. What they want is a genie, or in their case, what they want is a golden calf. So if you if you turn to uh, uh, the the lesson, we're going to be looking in chapter 33 of Exodus. Uh, the 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 context is that God has. God has uh, brought the people out of slavery in Israel, I mean in Egypt, and uh, brought them up to the base of Mount Sinai, where he's given them the Ten Commandments, and then he calls Moses up to the top of the mountain to hear some kind of application. Here's what you do with this Ten Commandment in these circumstances. And while they're, while Moses and God are up on the top of the mountain working all that out, um, the people down below who just heard minutes or hours or maybe a couple of weeks ago, they heard God say, here's the first thing I want you to know, which is that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and um, you shall have no gods before me. You shall not make a graven image. And so as soon as Moses goes up into the clouds to talk to God, they build a golden calf. So they don't want a God who's got a relationship. They want a list of rules, ideally a very short list of rules, so they can start breaking them. They don't want to have a relationship with God. So uh, so that's the situation. And uh, when Moses is up there on the mountain, God says, the people are, are dancing around a golden calf. Go down there. I'm going to destroy them. And Moses intervenes. Moses gets God to change his mind, it says. Moses says, don't destroy them. And so that's where we're at as we pick up the lesson in 33. The Lord says to Moses, go, leave this place, you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, and go to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. God says, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. Okay, you guys are totally a mess. You, you, you break the rules. You do exactly what I told you not to do, but I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. I'm going to give you the land that I promised your ancestors. I'm going to send my angel to destroy the, the uh, to drive out the enemies that are in the land so that you can have that land for your own. But he says, here's the catch. I will not go up among you. I would consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked, 
like an ox that won't turn when you pull on the leash. It just goes the way it's going. So he says, you're a stiff-necked people, you're obstinate. And when the people heard these harsh words, they mourned and no one put on ornaments. So that's that's the situation. Moses is facing a situation where God says, well, God earlier said, I'm going to destroy them. But Moses persuaded God not to destroy them. And now God says, okay, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain, but this is it. This is it. Um, you guys get the land, you get the land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm done. And Moses is faced with this question, do I want God or the things that God can provide? So if you jump ahead, there's a little kind of an interruption there where it talks about how Moses used to pray to God. But then we pick it up in verse 12. Moses says to the Lord, see, you have said to me, bring up this people. In other words, God says, um, you take them because I'm done with them. You, you've said, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. He's saying, uh, this is, you know, the, the word know in the Bible means to have a relationship with. To, it's not head knowledge, it's, it's heart knowledge. It's built on experience. So he says, you have not let me know who you will send with me. You're telling me you're sending me an angel to drive out these foreigners, right? Uh, and I'm sure it's a fine angel. It's one of your very best angels, but I don't know them. I don't have a relationship with him. God, I've been in a relationship with you since chapter 3 of Exodus. And now you're telling me you're going you're to send in some little angel who's going to deal with the... He says, I don't know who this person, who this angel is you're going to send with me. He says, yet you have said, I know you by name, and I, you have also found favor in my sight. So if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways. So that I may know you. And find favor in your sight. He says, consider too, this nation is your people. He says, don't forget, part of the deal, part of the deal you made, God, was you said, I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. Don't forget, that's a part of the deal. You can't simply give us milk and honey and say, that's it, I kept my part of the deal. He says, you have said, you will be our God. So he says, consider too, this nation is your people. And God says, okay. He says, my presence will go with you. That's it. God caves just like that. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Rest is another way of saying the land. Uh, in Egypt, you were a slave. You never got any rest. You'll have your own country where you can rest when you can, you know, when your work's done. Um, as a slave, you never could. So I will give you rest. And Moses says to him, like to underscore this, he wants to lock this deal in while God is soft. He says, uh, he says, if your presence will not go do not carry us up from here. I'd rather be in the wilderness with you, God, than in the land of milk and honey without you. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? And then he says this. He says, in this way, we shall be distinct. How can you tell who the people of God are? Is it because of where they live? Is it because of the rituals that they observe? Is it because of the prayers? Is it because of the law? He says, no, it is because the living God is among them. By this we shall be known as distinct, I and your people from every people on the earth. And the Lord again says, okay. The Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked for. You found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And then Moses says, I'm on a roll. I should try one more thing. He says to God, he says, show me your glory. He says, let's have it now. I want that presence. I want your glory. I want your presence. That's what I want to experience. Let's start now. And God says, uh, sort of. And God says, all right, here's what we'll do. 
I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you the name the Lord. And if you if 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 you grew up in church, you learned the Bible. You know when they put the the capital Lord, what it really means is I am. It means Yahweh. It means Jehovah. So the capital Lord, he's saying. God says, I am or I will be. And then he says, what will he be? He will be. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I don't know about you. When I hear that, I think God's saying, I'm going to pick some people and be nice to them. I'm going to pick some other people and not be nice. That's not what God is saying here. What God is saying is nothing can stop me. If I decide to be gracious to you, there's nothing that can keep me from being gracious. If I decide to be merciful to you, nothing can stop me. He says, the problem is not on my end. I would love to help you, Moses. There's one problem. You would die if I granted your request. So he says, he says, you cannot see my face, so no one can see me, for no one can see me and live. And the Lord continued, so here's what we'll do. There's a hole in the rock. I will, I will cover you when my glory passes by, um, and then I will take away my hand. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. He says, I will take you right up to the boundary between glory and holy. He says, Moses, that's how far I will take you, right up to the place. If you went any further, you would die. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, you know the, the, there's a scripture we hear and kind of we pass over because it's not the part about love. But, but the, the guy says, the, the pastor, the preacher, he says, he says um, we see now as in, a, as, in a, as in a mirror dimly, but we shall see face to face. So there is a point that we're looking forward to. In in God's time, we will all be brought to the place where we see God face to face. But in the meantime, what God is saying, I'll take you right up to that boundary. And if you if you ask God to do that, if like Moses, you say, take me there, he will begin taking you right up to the boundary between glory and holy. So what what can we what can we take from this? Um, first of all, why does Moses pick why does Moses pick pick this? He's offered he's offered everything God can give him and he picks God anyway. Why does he do that? I think I'll, to answer that question just pick up a newspaper. The world is full of uncertainty. Uh, you know, today it's Ebola or ISIS, uh, but tomorrow who knows what it'll be. Um, the world is full of uncertainty and Moses says, "I don't know what's going to happen in the 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 land with the milk and honey." But I know God. He says, I want a north star in my life. I want to something I can depend on. I can depend on God who is merciful, who is faithful, who keeps his covenant. So he says, I want that. That's a good decision. If you're looking for a north star in your life, God can be the north star. The second observation is that um, you may think to yourself, yeah, that sounds good, but here's the reality. I've alienated God. The things that I've done in my life, the things that, that, that if, if you knew what I had done, preacher, you wouldn't be telling me to do that. And, and my, my answer is, is, really, have you done worse than receiving the Ten Commandments? The stone is still warm from God's finger, carving on it not to have graven images. To get the Ten Commandments from God and then to go make a golden idol. Has your sin been that great? Have you been worse than the people that God has seen and forgiven right here in this scripture? I don't know your story. Maybe it has. But you know what? You have a bigger advocate than Moses. 
See, Moses appeals to God's mercy. He says, God, your dignity and your mercy require you to forgive this terrible insult. But Jesus appeals not only to God's mercy and his dignity, but he also answers God's justice. He says, yes, there are sins that are so great that God cannot overlook them. God cannot forgive them. And so God's wrath has to be poured out on them. He says, I've got that. I'll take God's wrath on myself so that you can experience the mercy of God. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is an advocate who offers you everything Moses offers and more. So whatever your situation, if your sin is as bad as the people of Mount Sinai or worse, if you think God cannot possibly forgive me, the answer is yes, he can and has in Jesus Christ. And third, and this is really, I think, where we have to end our discussion of prayers. Do you notice how pushy Moses is? Do you notice how pushy Moses is? As I was telling the children, Moses keeps asking for more. How many times in our prayers do we kind of try and guess what God will give us? And then we ask for something maybe a little more and then we settle for a little bit less. We, we think of God as if we could somehow negotiate and, and get to a, get to a kind of, I wasn't really happy, he wasn't really happy, but we kind of worked something out. How about if instead we started with the idea of, this is what I really want. And then when God gives us that to say, oh, and by the way, I want this other thing too. And then to say, oh, and I want this third thing. How about if we just come to God with our needs if, and our desires to say, this is what I want. And to assume that God's answer is going to be yes. Moses has just changed God's mind. You know, when I was in, in, when I was in seminary, they taught us in theology that God was immovable. Moses moved him. Assume you can move him too. Assume that God is ready to change his mind. And if you think, no, God would never answer that prayer, well, he answered Moses. The, the, the question that we're faced with when we're praying is, what do we want? Do we want God to answer our prayers, or do we want a relationship with God? And the lesson we see in the scriptures is that if we have a relationship with God, it makes our life better. And, and that's because that's what relationships do. When we're in a relationship with somebody we want to please them. And so so the, the relationship we have with God helps us to overcome sin and it helps us to, to, to get beyond the difficulties of our life, to persevere in, in the, the difficulties of our life. But it also works the other way. When God is in relationship with us, God is even more ready to pour out grace and mercy into our lives. So pick the relationship. If you're offered the choice, do I get my prayer or do I get God? Pick God. Pick God's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that, that um, you answer prayers. But we thank you especially that you are willing to give us your presence, to give us your glory, the, the, the weight and splendor of your radiant glory. We pray you'd help us to see you and be aware of your presence in our lives. And we pray particularly for worship services like this one and those around the country and around the world, that when people gather in your name, that they would experience your presence, that they would experience your glory so they could take that out into the world. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.